Hey everyone, this is your host Aman Thiwana and welcome to another episode of 11 Questions. Today we are meeting Michael Arya, who is a published poet, experienced broadcaster, trained mental health engagement worker and has worked as a manager and hypnotherapist. Let's find out more about her after this quick word from our sponsor. Hi Maya, how are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. Yeah, um getting ready for my birthday on Wednesday. So Oh wow. Happy <laughs> yeah. birthday in advance. Thank you. Thank you very much. First of all, thank you so much for being my guest. I'm just so happy that I'll be asking you 11 questions today. I just want to start by asking, do you consider yourself introvert or extrovert? Definitely an introvert. but i'm an introvert who can relate to people very well and i've worked in mental health for years and i've worked in retail as a manager so i had to be very extroverted and mm-hmm. um, on the shop floor for 8 9 hours a day talking to thousands of people and i don't know how i did it because <laughs> it takes so much energy to talk to that many people even you know even as an extrovert i think but i am 100% introverted <laughs> okay same here What's your favorite way to spend a day? Oh, that's a lovely question. I would say definitely going for a walk at some point, but not too early. So I'd wake up late, have a really nice breakfast, and then maybe just watch some like YouTube videos just to chill out in the morning, maybe read a little bit, and then later on go for a lovely walk in the forest, come back and have a lovely dinner, and then just chill out, maybe have a bath. Just very introverted. <laughs> introverted things. Sounds like a great day to be. If I were to say that you can only eat one thing forever, what's that one thing for you? I would say it would be my bars uh, dalbat. I absolutely love it. I could eat it every day. It's something I never get sick of. So yeah, that would be the at least a savory dish. <laughs> I was thinking about that. I would also pick savory. Like I have a sweet tooth, but I don't think I can eat sweets forever. Yeah, exactly. I think you'd I would get a bit sick. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> And if I were to ask you to pick only one book, which one would you pick? Just for the beauty of the way it's written alone, even though it's very deep and intense. The God of Small Things by Arundhati mm-hmm. Roy. I'm just floored by that book and the way that she's written it and it would just keep me connected to the craftsmanship of writing it would keep me inspired and i just love her as a person and what she stands for so i would say that yeah, it's it's one of my favorites too love that book what's your most prized possession and why if i had to pick one it would just be a photograph of my mother and me and my brother because she she died when i was 9 so just that memory would be enough because there wasn't like digital photography or anything in those days so it really is so prized for me i can see that photos hold such power especially the non digital ones digital ones you take like 100 and never look back <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah so we are in covid now we don't go anywhere but once this is over and we are back to normal i don't know what normal is going to be after this where would you travel first could it be abroad yeah anywhere i would say back to canada i have family there but that wouldn't necessarily be the main reason why i would go i just absolutely adore the country as a whole i think it's absolutely stunning and also as an introvert you could walk for hours and not see a single person <laughs> whereas in england where i live 
every beautiful place you always see about 100 other people because it's quite overcrowded here so I would I would go back to Canada Canada is beautiful I've only been to a few places but the scenery is just stunning it really is and speaking of travel if you could time travel (laughs) and an option to go 10 years into the future or 10 years into the past where would you go 10 years into the future because I laugh and I'm smiling but I've had I've had a very difficult life and it's taken me this long to heal and recover from the things I've experienced and in a much worse place let's just say 10 years ago so I would not want to revisit Mm -hmm. that again. And what are you most proud of in this last year? It actually ties into the previous question I think my healing I think this time during COVID, for me, not much has changed because I lived such an introverted life anyway, but I've really taken the time to heal. And that means going into my deepest, most painful wounds and sitting with them and being with them. And I know that most people run away from mm-hmm. that kind yeah. of work. <laughs> so I feel very proud of that because I can see the difference in every day. I see the difference of doing that. And I know how m- many tears it took. And still takes. That's awesome because I also know it's really hard to actually Mm -hmm. look within and face the demons, so to speak. It's very hard. I think for anyone to do it is is so brave. This last year is just COVID-ridden, just a horrible year overall. But still, there were some lessons in it. What's the one lesson for you? Oh, this is going to sound really, I mean, you, you probably get it as an introvert, but that I don't need as many people around me as I think that I do. (laughs) I always used to be someone with a a decent amount of friends or could make friends very easily. And this year, obviously, none of us have really been able to see that many. And when my racial trauma came out earlier this year around the George Floyd um, incident, I actually lost a few white friends because they weren't able to accept the reality Mm -hmm. of the situation and face their privilege. And so I lost quite a few friends, but I actually felt more free and liberated having only the friends that really got me and got the whole situation. Yeah, it's it's been quite liberating to know that I don't need that many people around and that I I can handle my, I can manage my own life and my emotions with less than I thought. Minimalist life. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned the whole racially charged movements that have happened in this year. So my next question was very much around that. Like if you could snap your fingers and instantly make the world better, what would you do? I think about stuff like this all the time. It sounds really obvious, I guess, but I would want us to all just see each other as human beings and stop this ludicrous sometimes I have to remind myself that people still operate within these systems like say that someone would think someone was lower than them because of the color of their skin I have to remind myself that that's still the reality and that it's happening to me and it's happening to people of color everywhere so I think that would be the first thing because from that then we could actually build communities and societies that were liberated and free and thriving Whereas at the moment, we're we're still stuck on trying to explain to people basic things like we're all equal. I mean, it's basic. (laughs) So much emotional labor on your part. Yeah, exactly. It's like we're stuck on this after how many years of being on this planet, you know, so. (laughs) 
and violence against, you know, racially motivated violence would end and systems would would change. So, yeah, it would be amazing. I would like to see that one day, hopefully. Yeah. Last question for you is, if you were to pick one interesting life experience to share with us today, what would that be? It is an interesting life experience, but it's also a very sad one. But I would say it's my most defining life experience. And um, it's what my book is based on. And it's the death of my mother when I was nine. Um, and it's interesting because it defined the rest of my life. Um, so even though I was expected to get on with it and just be like a normal kid, a normal teenager, you know, all these things, I was plunged into the underworld immediately. I don't think anyone could go through something like that at the age of nine and not view life completely the opposite to mm -hmm. people around them, especially yeah. other children, because children are meant to be like really happy, carefree, right? At least to a certain degree, that's kind of the expectation, you know, like someone gives you an ice cream and like, you're supposed to be like really excited and happy. Whereas for me, it was just like, everything is terrible. Um, I understand death at this young age, or I'm, I have to maybe not understand death, but I have to face death when other kids don't have to do that. And also, how am I going to be in the world without a mother? It was just this massive defining moment, which I don't think I'll ever be able to really grasp the gravity of. I try, and that's what the book is about. And that's what I talk about on platforms. But I'd say that was the most interesting because I look back now, as I say in the book, it was like running a race with my peers, only that I'd been shot in the leg with an invisible bullet. So the wound therefore was invisible. So I was like limping along in this race with my peers, but I had this like massive gaping wound that no one could see. And it's interesting to look back now and go, okay, wow, that's why I thought that way, or that's why my life has turned out this way. So yeah, that would be the most interesting experience. Thanks for sharing with us. And, you know, I'm just so happy that you today are in a much better place and you have done the work to heal yourself. So I'm just really happy for you at this point. Thank you so much. And you mentioned your book. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. It's called Half Woman, Half Grief. It's basically a poetry book based on the death of my mother when I was nine. I've always been a poet. So even before she died, I was a writer. She supported me in sending my work to publishers at like the age of eight, oh, wow. which was really such a lovely gift that she gave me that now I can hold on to. So yeah, so the book is a collection of poems that I wrote over the span of about four years. Um, so I'm a studied writer. So I studied creative writing at university. I've always been a writer. But this book came after seven years of not writing anything, like writer's block. After uni, I just stopped writing. And so I'd had a bad relationship and I just started, I picked up the pen again and I started writing. And I didn't know what would come out. I just knew I had to write. And so over the span of four years, I wrote hundreds of poems. And then one day I thought, I'm finally going to do the thing that I was born to do, that I've wanted to do since I was like seven and eight years old. And I thought, what am I going to do this book about? And then I, I realized, obviously, grief, because so many of my poems are about grief. And I, it could really help other people reading it. Um, and it could help me heal as well, and certain members of my family as well. So I chose some poems, and I found an illustrator who is fantastic. And then I found a book designer, and we worked together to create this amazing book. 
Um, and it was published on the 31st of October this year. And it was self-published um, for mm -hmm. many reasons. I wanted creative control. I didn't want to have someone take more profit um, from the sales than I did, basically, because as the creator, it just didn't seem fair. And the book is a journey through the underworld. So it's not for people who don't want to go deep. Even on the back, it says, I'm not here to sugarcoat grief. I'm here to be transformed by it. It's a very raw, vulnerable, visceral book, but it is designed to help people through that sort of underworld journey through grief and then back into the light again. And to kind of integrate the darker sides of grief, like rage, you know, we don't often talk about rage and it's something I feel very passionate about. I'm, I am actually a very rageful person. I don't often come across like that, but the rage, it like courses through my veins a lot. So I wanted to open the book almost with poems that really express my rage. And I wanted to encourage other people, especially female identifying people or people of color to embrace their rage, which has been long suppressed. And I wanted to talk about like collective grief, environmental grief, colonial grief. And even though I don't directly speak about them in the poems, the elements of, of those things are there in the book as well. That's amazing. If someone wants to buy your book, where can they find it? So they can find it in two places. So lulu.com, which is a publishing company, or mayacalaria.com, which is my own website. You mentioned you self-published. So what was that process like? It's not a conventional route. No, it was good in the sense that I could just create the book however I wanted to and have creative control. And it's great in the sense that I get more profit from the book. As a writer, as a woman of colour, as a writer of colour, I believe that's important. I'm all about decolonizing processes. And I feel like this was a really good way to decolonize the publishing process. I deliberately didn't choose Amazon to sell the book on for many reasons. I'm sure you can guess. Um, <laughs> but it was a nerve wracking process. Yeah. And I didn't have the publicity that publishing houses have. Yeah. So the most nerve wracking part for me was when it was released. I didn't know how many people would buy it. I didn't know how many people would care. It turns out that actually quite a few people have bought it considering I didn't have a publicity campaign or anything like that. In terms of the actual process of putting the book together, I'm a perfectionist. So I worked very closely with the book designer and I do feel sorry for her because <laughs> I sent her like edits like every day, like, can we just tweak this? Can we tweak that? <laughs> but what I do love is it's so personal. Like even the hand, the handwriting is mine. Um, oh, really? That's yeah. Pretty. I thought that was a font. Ah, thank you. Well, I'll take that as a compliment. And <laughs> um, so all the all of the the creative process inside was so thought through and so symbolic. So there's a lot of Indian imagery. Um, so tigers, cobras, the goddess Kalima, but also even the flowers are uh, native Indian flowers. So mm -hmm. India is a really strong theme in the book. And so is the symbols of the dark feminine. So I have a very strong sort of dark feminine energy, which I'm learning to embrace. So I mentioned rage before, then there's grief. I talk about shame a lot. And so I really wanted the dark feminine to come out in this book. So snakes, snakes have always been associated with the feminine, but in a really negative yeah. way. I kind of wanted to like reclaim that because they're awesome. I think people are just afraid of it, of them because they're afraid of the dark feminine. It's a very powerful force. So I kind yeah, of wanted to- I, I love that. <laughs> I love that thought. 
Yeah, thank you. And the tiger in the book is a ferocious growling tiger. And I've, I've loved tigers. And as someone of Indian origin, the first image of God I ever saw was the goddess Durga, who was riding a tiger. And she's awesome. She also rides a lion, I think. I just thought that was amazing. And I wanted to bring that back. <laughs> you mentioned a lot of Indian themes and symbolism. So are you also planning to release your book in India soon? I hope so. Yeah. And I, I actually need to check because it only occurred to me the other day that I don't know if my book is available in India. I don't know if people can order it. So I, if people can order it through Lulu and, and it be received in India. So I need to look into that because I really, really want people in India to be able to order the book. Maya, thank you so much for joining me today. It was really fun talking to you. And I always feel great when there's another introvert around me because <laughs> I feel like I am validated. <laughs> A hundred percent. Thank you so much for having me and asking all these amazing questions and giving me a platform to tell my story a little bit more. Thank You're you. welcome. And I wish you the very best with your book. Thank you. Thank you so much. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space. So you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add our podcast in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Maya. Hope you enjoyed getting to know her as much as I did. You can also watch a video version of this conversation on 11 Questions YouTube channel. Visit her website to purchase her book at mayakalaria.com. Don't forget to subscribe to 11 Questions wherever you are listening. And if you like this episode, please leave a 5-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Do follow me on Instagram and Twitter at 11QuestionsPod for more videos and updates. And I'll be back next week with a new guest. Bye!